the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. Three people were shot yesterday in an attack on YouTube headquarters in San Bruno, California. All of the victims are still clinging to life this morning in local hospitals, but the attempted killer is dead. After firing at people at random, the shooter yelled, come at me or come get me. Not long after, she turned the weapon on herself and then it was all over. Now, before I get into specifics here, I want to I want to point out the tribal side that is taking taking place right now. The mudslinging that happened in the immediate minutes and hours after this attack went down. If you were on Twitter and any other social media platform yesterday, when this was happening, you know what I'm talking about. You could feel the tension building, not for the victims of the attack. But between the numerous tribes awaiting, just waiting for someone to blame. And in fact, most of them couldn't wait. You could practically see thousands upon thousands frantically hitting refresh on their devices or their computers, just waiting for anything that would give them the opportunity to assign blame. Thoughts and prayers, they're gone. Who's to blame? At 1.52 p.m. yesterday, one Twitter user tweeted, if this shooter at YouTube isn't a white male with far-right leanings, I'll eat my effing hat. Get rid of effing guns. End quote. Well, um, it wasn't a white guy. Literally minutes later, local news outlets began reporting that the attacker was, quote, a white female. No word on whether the Twitter user has enjoyed his hat. The anti-white male and the anti-far-right tribe quieted down a bit, but the anti-feminists then blew their Viking horn and charged into the fight. Here's the example from one Twitter user in, in the UK. The shooter at YouTube headquarters was a woman. I would like you to condemn this act as a female and do more to stop her fellow hate-filled, hate-filled females to stop this. Hashtag taste of your own medicine. Keep in mind at this point of time, there is absolutely no concrete information about what was really happening. Some rumors began to claim that this was a domestic situation, while others said it was a terrorist attack. But nobody knew anything. That didn't stop California Republican congressmen from going on Fox Business and saying, quote, you're going to discuss with me about sanctuary cities in the sanctuary state movement, and it fits right into what you're talking about right now. Would anybody be surprised? End quote. There wasn't even a single report that might have led anyone to believe that this was caused by an illegal immigrant. But the tribal warfare continued. I could go on and on and on because it did. The blame assigning and the mud slinging got more and more ridiculous as the rumors began to pile up. What the hell is wrong with us? Here are the facts. The shooter was an Iranian woman. <gasps> she was irate, uh, irate at, at, um, at YouTube and their new content policies. After disappearing for two days, her father called the police to warn them that she might be on the way to YouTube. The police found her sleeping in her car. 
but then let her go. <gasps> oh my gosh. So it's the Iranians. No, 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 no. We better check on who's coming in here. No, no, no. It's actually the police fault because the police, they were warned and they let her go. I'm going to say something shocking, truly shocking, apparently, in this country, because I don't hear anybody talking about it. And it is exactly what I have said the last 14 freaking shootings. How do you describe this woman? Well, I could use all kinds of labels, immigrant, Iranian, feminist, vegan. She's a militant vegan. She's an animal rights activist. Oh, she's one of them. She's also a bodybuilder and creator of what I believe is probably the most bizarre collection of videos I've ever seen. In between wild rants in Farsi, she can be seen working out, dancing, cuddling with rabbits and chickens, and then back, back to random militant vegan tirades. It's people like that. Oh. <gasps> Stu's a vegetarian. He's probably going to kill us all. <laughs> now, this is the only fact regarding this attack. This woman was completely and totally nuts. She was crazy. Any attempt to assign a political affiliation, gender, religion, or any other label is just playing into modern-day tribal warfare, which we are all addicted to. This attack, like the vast majority of all others, is about mental illness. It's not about guns. It's about mental illness. We have a hole in our soul as a society. More and more people are committing suicide. More and more people feel isolated and lost. And then on top of that, there are just the regular run-of-the-mill lunatics. This is about mental disorders. Not about guns, not about women, not about left, not about right, not about YouTube. This is about mental illness. And these shootings are going to continue to happen until we address mental illness. Society is sick. It's addicted. Social media is addicting. It's contributing to the fracturing and the polarization of our country. <gasps> well, that's right, Glenn Beck. Go get Facebook. Is Facebook making you do these things? Is Facebook making you check your feed over and over and over again? Is Twitter making people write things that they would never, ever say in real life to one another? Nope. We are. All of us. We don't take to blame for this shooting. 
we take the blame and must start shouldering the blame as human beings all over the earth for not talking about the real issues and the real root of our problems. Nobody wants to deal with it. And the only ones, the only ones that want to really express something are the radicals that are only using these things for radical change. Guys, we're better than this. It's time that we start acting like it. It's Wednesday, April 4th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Hello, Stu. Hi, Glenn. I'm uh, completely shocked that this would happen. Um, mm, you know, me too. The fact that we've, uh, we have a, a, uh, a new economy mm-hmm. that essentially rewards people who are crazier than other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see what the negative result could be. Especially no. when, you know... The plan there is to you get people who act really insane. Mm-hmm. You give them a uh, a really uh, big uh, platform mm-hmm. to be insane on, mm-hmm. and then you take away their ability to earn money doing it, sort of out of nowhere on an mm-hmm. arbitrary decision. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not necessarily a good formula. Uh, of course, YouTube is not at all responsible for it, nope. but, uh, nope. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's nope. just one of those things where you're going to, you know, you're going to see some of this. I think you're going to see some crazy behavior out of these, uh, you know, these types of uh, people. Well, remember, you've made being famous really easy. You've made that the that's the goal yeah. just to be famous. I just want a bunch of followers. I just want a bunch of I just listen to that. I just want a bunch of followers. Who says that? Jesus didn't even want a bunch of followers. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where it's it's similar to the internet itself, right? Like they're generally speaking, the availability for people to be able to post their own material is a very good thing. We're going to see some weird consequences with it as we go forward. I think, though, I mean, you can't stop everybody who's insane from doing crazy things. And I think you're right. The focus when it comes to violence should not be on, you know, weapons, which, which 99.99% of which are never used in any negative uh, way. Like this woman did. Um, But you're right. I mean, trying to find some way to take these real outliers uh, in our society who have obvious mental illness and trying to get them the help that can make them not turn into this person. Gosh, There's lots could, of mentally ill people who don't act like this. If we could just find an algorithm. You want to algorithm this out? I don't know if we could just find an algorithm that could listen to us and watch us and analyze everything that we do and then just remove the people that are problems. <laughs> I don't know if that's the answer, but I mean, it's going to be one, the one they yeah, try. It's going to be the one we get. Eventually, it will be the one we get after guns are gone. It'll be the one we get. Again, it's always a problem to assign actual responsibility to the reason you know a killer gives in one of these situations so caution there but like she's saying that basically she had made these crazy videos that was how she made her living youtube changed its algorithm stop it why you know but why did they that is their response right mm-hmm. uh, youtube went through and tried to say okay well this material is not appropriate for 
let's say younger people mm-hmm. and they age restricted her mm-hmm. videos, turning her videos down. And when you live your life with the only value you can come up with is how many YouTube views you have. And that suddenly changes with something that's out of your control. People, it's, it's, it's an empty, hollow life goal. And when, well, you, when you live your life with nothing, when it's just no nutritional value whatsoever to your life, you know, when that little thing changes, people are going to act really strangely. Well, it's, it's interesting because um, Facebook has changed their algorithm. Dennis Prager is being targeted by YouTube. Dennis, I haven't seen Dennis with a rifle. Have you? <laughs> no, I, I haven't seen that. Um, it, 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 you know, the press has already done a story on how the right has been damaged by Facebook's algorithm, how they have just decimated several businesses. Okay, what you just said is, you know, it's a shallow thing. You know, if you're if you're getting your 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 meaning in these clicks and these followers and everything else. But also, and I'm not talking about her at all. Also, there's a lot of money involved. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of money involved. And there are there are people who what was the uh, the website that was doing all good news and it, it, it put all of its eggs into the Facebook basket and it was just all good news. You think about little things? I think so. Mm-hmm. And it had 10 million followers. Yeah, something like 10 million followers. 10 million followers. People were were, were liking that. They wanted it. It was a great service. There was no hate. There was nothing else. Well, they had all of these employees, 10 million followers. They had a bright future. They were making money. They were serving the community. But Facebook decided to change their algorithm, and they went out of business in a month. They had to fire everybody. I mean, you know, instability we're going to have to get used to because things are going to change all the time now. The only thing that will be constant is change. Because the rate of technology changes, the, the, the exponential growth of technology is going to change our lives. And we need to mentally prepare for that and become much more um, agile and much more willing to adopt change because it's going to happen over and over and over and over again because that's the way of the world. Now, there's a healthy way to uh, work with that and that is to openly talk about it to talk about the fact that that bain capital said we're going to have an unemployment rate of 25 a permanent unemployment rate of 25 percent by 2030 as that's a that's 11 and a half years from now that's no time that time will go that fast a 25 percent unemployment rate and by the way, that doesn't happen in 2030. All of a sudden, 2030, okay, everybody, you're unemployed. That's going to start creeping up now. It already is. People are going to get more and more frustrated, more and more desperate. So what are we doing? Taking their guns away? Making them feel less powerful? Listen to the interview with the guy who was there at um at uh, uh youtube and they were interviewing him right after the shooter asking him what what w- what were you thinking listen what's going through your mind with i mean people dropping being shot multiple times bullets whizzing people bleeding what's going through your mind well leslie was on my mind but at the same time i knew you know i, I had to be smart 
You know, you got to be, be smart. You got to be fast. You got to think fast because smart. I didn't have a gun on me, but wish I did. <laughs> That's a California citizen. Looks like an older Asian guy. California citizen. Wish I had a gun. We have to empower people. We have to let them know that they matter. And most importantly, the lesson we can learn, we have to talk about what's driving this, and that is mental illness. So I want to talk to you a little bit about Simply Safe. Simply Safe Home Security, prepared for anything. Storm takes out your power, Simply Safe is ready. Intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe is ready. Say they destroy your keypad and your siren. Simply Safe already has called the police, and it still calls police. Now, maybe it's overkill. They did all of this stuff. I don't think it is. You know, their their shutters, they have they have these cameras and they think they're just like you. I mean, I I, I really like these people. They had these cameras and they were gonna put them into people's homes. And um and the the head guy said, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable in today's world with that camera in my house. He said, I want a shutter on it, but I want a shutter on it that when you hear it, you can hear it open and you can hear it close. And so they could have made it in, in certain different ways to be silent. They intentionally made this thing loud so you can hear it go. So, you know, when it's open and closed, so you, you feel secure that nobody's watching you and you feel secure when you turn it on and you're going to bed, you know that that's, that camera is going to catch whatever has happened. Somebody tries to break in simply safe. They've really thought this through and they've really made a great product and it will keep you and your family secure. 24 seven professional security monitoring is only $14 and 99 cents a month. There's no contracts. There's no hidden fees. Simply safe. Check it out for yourself. See how much money you'll save while keeping your family safe the simple and easy way. SimplySafeBeck.com. That's SimplySafeBeck.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. back wow Stu's upset about something today that i've been talking about for days and he's like no buddy. no i don't think that's that important I, you yeah. cannot give oh, me yeah. that oh, no yeah. i'm not oh, going to accept that from you <laughs> i'm not going to accept <laughs> right. that from you uh you know we're talking about the trade thing going on and as you know mm-hmm. this is a long time a long time issue for me yes i may get a little too fired up over uh yes. free trade yes maybe that makes me a loser I've been told that before. Well, the that could make you a libertarian, or <laughs> potentially, <laughs> as I said, a loser. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, we, uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, spiting us again. Uh, we keep firing up this uh, very easily winnable trade war that we've been told about so much, mm-hmm. um, and uh, now the Dow is down. Looks like another five hundred points, uh, and you know, this is down thousands. 
And, and and you can't be mad at the president for this. This is literally what he ran on. It's it's absolutely his most consistent viewpoint in his entire life. It is. Which is he really believes in protectionist trade policy. Occasionally he'll give, uh, you know, a lip service to the opposite. But, I mean, you know, he's been really consistent on this to, mm-hmm. to his, I guess, credit. I mean, I completely disagree with the policy. But he... I he mean, believes this. Yeah, he believes, he believes this. this. And here's the, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, Mr. President, please, if you if the economy falls apart, you're in real trouble and the Democrats will sweep, just sweep in the midterms. Please, the economy. It is all about the economy. Please listen to Kudlow and and, and other. I mean, you know, the others that are around you, please listen to them. This is very dangerous, and we can't take a, a, an, an unstable economy or economy that is going in the wrong direction. Glenn Beck, Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Dow is currently down about 500 points. Uh, we have uh, we have military headed towards the border because of a, a caravan that we really need to discuss here in a second. And Will uh, is on the phone with us. Hello, Will. How are you? Hey. Hey, Mr. Beck. It's an absolute honor to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Uh, I, I guess my, my point, uh, you actually hit it the nail right on the head with it, it, it's a mental issue as far as all the gun violence that we have, but we have to figure out a way to do it in a legal way to where it's fair to everyone to get these, uh, these mentally ill people in the next system to where they cannot purchase a gun anymore. And what I would like to propose is we treat it just like a trial. So let's say that someone wanted to say that I'm mentally unfit to own a gun. Well, I think that they should take that to the state, and I think the state should have a trial against me where the evidence is presented, and then I could have a jury of 12 of my peers where I live decide on the facts where I'm able to defend myself whether or not that that's the case. Yeah, if you could have a jury of your peers, I would I would tend to agree with you um, because we've seen, you know, children in family services, how that operates. I mean, look how they were look how they were signing guardians in where was that Arizona or Nevada where they were signing guardians and these guardians were coming in and saying, hey, these people are unfit, putting them in, in, in into institutions and then drugging them and killing them. Uh, all for their money, and it looks like the courts were somewhat involved in that. So you know, I, I, I'm 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 with you, Will. That um, we have to be very careful on how this is is happening. Um, you know, but if the state starts to say, "Hey, you know, you're mentally ill, uh, and we're going to take away your guns," uh, you know, there's a and 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 you're going to go to trial for it. How are the, how is the average person going to be able to afford it, and how is the court system going to be able to handle that? Well, that, that, that's a very good point. That, that is an absolute very good point. But it, at least in that case, he could, you know, he or she could have a public defender and will, would at least be able to argue the facts. 
you know, and, and then to even take that a little step further, what's more dangerous, Glenn, a gun or a vote? So when you're when you're starting to talk about taking away people's rights, you know, when you have a trial by jury, let's say in a felony case, would you take away their voting rights too, as well as their gun rights? So, I mean, that's another question that has to be asked. And in my opinion, a vote is so much more dangerous than a gun. I know that, that probably people don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. Yeah. Will, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You know, we, we, we do have to have this conversation, but we had conversation yesterday about the new patents that uh, Apple, uh, I'm sorry, that Amazon and Google have just put through to where they can listen in your house and detect the mood of the house. They can detect whether you are angry or depressed just by listening to the voice. Well, what what happens? It, I mean, one way to solve this easily is, well, we were listening. It looks like there's domestic problems in this house. Looks like this person is depressed. So we got to take the guns away. You know, this woman at YouTube yesterday, her father called and said, I think she's a danger to herself. She may be dangerous to people at YouTube. She is maybe on her way to YouTube. I haven't found her. They found her in the car. Police talked to her and let her go. She went to YouTube and kills people. Okay, so what do we do? Police didn't have the right to pick her up, or did they? Should we have a system that when you when somebody calls and says and they are verified family member hey i'm concerned about this person do they have a right to go and make sure that you are taken care of that the guns are that you don't have access to any guns yeah i mean obviously there are systems in which you know you can you can restrict you can, you know, if you're a loved one, you think your loved one's going off the rails, there are things mm-hmm. you can you can do. I mean, the idea that you're going to stop them from purchasing a gun is a small piece of this, right? We act as if this is some solution. I mean, if you can't buy a gun from, uh, just like you can't buy cocaine, do people solve that issue? They st- they seem to be okay at doing that. They figure out their ways to get what they need, um, you know, and, and if even if they can't get that, they can get lots of legal things that can also kill you, like cars and like knives and all of these other, you know, there's a there's a larger issue here. And I think in a sane world, if there is a sane, common sense, parallel universe that we all lived in, in which, you know, people understood, look, they were honest and and there were there were ways to handle these things with common sense and people had common sense. Um, maybe there's a solution here. But, man, I, I'm very nervous at how they would apply these things because I, I think, think people do have common sense. They're just denying it. I think we are living in this postmodern world where there is no absolute truth. And so they deny it because it's easier for them to deny it. It, it makes their life easier. It's easy for us, though, to, to say that there's this like mental health line that is recognizable. No, it's not. It's I mean, not. like you, this person, I think we all can look at this now, the YouTube uh, sh- shooter from yesterday and say, OK, it seems like they were pretty mentally ill. I mean, you look at the videos. She looks crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, her actions seem nutty. But as you point out, a police officer actually engaged with this person hours before and was not able to recognize it, did not think that there was something that was a huge threat there. Because you know what? If you've ever dealt with someone with mental illness, it's not like every conversation you have with them, they're flailing their arms around and making crazy noises. Like People are completely capable of having completely normal conversations with you when they're mentally ill at times. 
you you can't these are very difficult things to manage and you i think there's a there's a there's a a systemic issue that's that's something that over a very long period of time with maybe a return to some basic principles that we used to all kind of agree on that can be solved but it's not a short-term thing i think where we can be like oh well let's pass this law or you know what the david hogs of the world would say oh well let's you know ban future purchases of ar-15s oh it does nothing to this it wasn't an ar-15 was it wasn't an ar-15 uh it you know the gun was already in the system so it wouldn't any future purchase wouldn't be restricted you could say oh i want to stop people from buying guns if they have if mental illness let's just say this person was specifically identified as having mental illness still it wouldn't have stopped this they would have been able to go get something else they would have been able to go get a gun from somewhere else i mean that is what happens here let me go to dan in georgia hello dan hey glenn hey boys hey um I want to talk to you real quick about the, the YouTube creator policy. Uh, I'm a creator, and, um, you know, for her to have lost her monetization, she had to have under 4,000 minutes a month of view time or under 1,000 subscribers. And so based on those numbers, she wasn't even making $5 a month. So it wasn't that she lost her income. It wasn't that she snapped because of a YouTube policy. So I just want to make sure that the air is clear on that. Well, I, you have. I, I, hang on uh, just a second. I want to make sure that you understand. She's nuts. My my view on this nuts. is she's nuts and there's nothing else to this story other than she's nuts. With that being okay. said, you know, we are in this. We're in this place now where everybody can make money and everybody can be a star. Some people are doing it in reasonable ways. Some people are not. And when you when you put uh, stardom next to crazy, it's very easy for somebody to say, well, you know what? The reason why I'm not getting views, I'm not getting views because they're they're. Uh, it's not crazy if they really are after you and they're after me. They're they're trying right. to silence me. They're, they've changed their algorithm. Otherwise, because this is genius. No, it's not. No, it's not. You're nuts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She's nuts. She didn't snap because of income. She's nuts. I will say, though, so, and you know this probably better than I am, as, as a creationist uh, with, uh, with YouTube, um, that uh, they also restrict videos uh, for content reasons, right? Like, if you say, if you do something that it's not friendly for children, it's not just numbers. It's also, yeah. So, it, it could have they been. Do. Their they, new policy is you'll get a, uh, a, a yellow monetization symbol, meaning it's not suitable for all advertisers. That does not mean that you're not getting monetized. It basically means you're not getting premium monetization or you're not getting, you know, Glenn Beck might say, well, hey, I don't want to advertise the blaze on anything that has to do with uh, Nazi talk. So if there's Nazi talk or anything like that in my videos, then you, you Google will say, well, we're not going to put Glenn Beck there. And they're going to let me know that, hey, your video might be offensive to some advertisers, so it may or may not be monetized. It just makes it harder for me to make the money but it's it's not controllable at my level now they will demonetize immediately if it's a, extremely offensive if it's if it's pornographic mm-hmm. if it's i mean you know they're, they're they're and you will know that as well that video will become demonetized but not your entire channel and you could fix it by removing the copyrighted material you know there's ways that you could fix it uh, but yeah, they they do definitely they they watch what goes up there, and I'm I'm not going to get into like politics about it, because um, I I mean I, I'm not I'm not riding that bus yet that it's a conspiracy. <laughs> politics, but, Dan, you know. thank you very much. I appreciate your call, Bill in Tennessee. Go ahead. 
Yeah, Glenn, uh, first I agree, she's nuts. <laughs> that said, I think we better watch out that the left doesn't argue that she was a constitutionalist because she was defending her First Amendment rights with her Second Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as crazy as that sounds, you know as well as I do that uh, if we start seeing a rise in violence by anybody who claims they're protecting their rights, it's going to start on the fringe. And as we see the restrictions and the changes in algorithms by what really amount to public utilities when you get down to it, you're going to see a rising level of violence, not motivated by anything, but uh, changes in the uh, computerized world we're in. So are Uh, are you, wait, 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 are you calling YouTube and Facebook, are you calling for them to be made utilities? I think we should look at that, especially when you cite the example of that company that hired all those employees that was putting out nothing but good news. They had a certain right to rely on the situation remaining as it did, or at least have Mm -hmm. a say in the change which occurred. They did not, and their whole business was shut down in a matter of, as you said, a month. And why? Because of a change in an algorithm? Right, but it's their private business. It's their private business that they give away for free, by the way. Uh, I think there's a, there will, I think, I do think Facebook and others will get sued by a lot of these companies because of the fact that a lot of them paid them money for advertising to mm-hmm. get these followers and then are no longer being given access to them. Mm-hmm. And so, and while I guarantee that contract you sign with Facebook and when you click accept is airtight um, as far as this goes, because they could say we can switch it whenever way they want. I will be surprised if someone doesn't dig up an email from a Facebook employee that says, ah, yeah, you know, they're not going to change it that drastically and they're going to have problems with it. And here's the problem with making these things utility. uh, utilities. You make them utilities. Um, then the federal government has control. Then they become cable. Then the big institutions get to go and lobby and they have all of their special interests that control uh, Facebook and YouTube. Facebook and YouTube Unless the government controls the rest of the Internet, the minute they're brought into the fold of the government, everyone will flee because somebody else will say, well, I can fix this problem better than the government. And they're going to limit your speech and they're just in you know, government stooges or whatever it is. They don't have a, the government cannot have a monopoly on the Internet. And if they make those utilities, then what happens? Yeah. Somebody else is going to come up and make something better, and it will put them out of business, which is the way it should work in the first place. And I have to tell you, I think that's beginning to uh, the, the possibility exists that Facebook has done so much damage that eventually they do go the way of MySpace. All right, I want to talk to you about your air filter. And I know that's not sexy at all. It's like, ah, oh, the air filter. I don't even know what to say about the air filters, except you got to change them. I don't even know how many times you're supposed to change them. You know, you go into Home Depot and you're like, I, I need that. And then, you know, I've only pulled it out because something has gone wrong. And I pull it out and I'm like, holy cow, honey, how come we haven't been changing the air filter? Because it's your job. Okay, that's about all I know about them. However, I want to tell you about filter by because they can get you any filter that you um, that you need. 
uh, and they can turn around in 24 hours so you don't have to leave the house. You can just order online and they'll send it right to you. But they can also make it so you get it every three or six months, whatever you want. So then it arrives and you're like, oh, yeah, I better change the filter before we all die a black lung. So I could talk to you about filter buy on that way. Or I could tell you that this was started by a guy who was trying to save his grandfather's business and trying to save jobs in Alabama. And he did it. This business was started back in 1958. He was a very successful guy. Um, and he found out that, you know, his grandfather died and the business started falling apart. And he decides, I'm going to quit my big time job and I'm going to I'm going to find a way to save those jobs and to save my grandfather's business. So he changed it and it became filter by. Now they employ over 100 people. All of the filters made in Alabama and shipped for free within 24 hours. And you can set up auto delivery if you want and save 5% on top. 600 sizes available. Buy your filters now from FilterBuy, FilterBuy.com. That's FilterBuy.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn back. All right, a couple of things we have to take care of. Uh, first of all, uh, the you know the Christian Christian culture that we have, Christian privilege is everywhere. We're going to talk about that coming up in a few minutes. Stu has been complaining the last few days that he's hungry. So, and I know he likes, I know he likes things. <laughs> the last few days, the last few thousand days, healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got you some crickets. Okay. Oh God. Okay. Oh my God! They're and actual. Then, and then I got you cricket, uh, salt and vinegar cricket like larvets. Oh my God! Uh, so that's that salt is, and vinegar. Ah! This is this is bacon and cheese. Uh, somebody's got to try. Even my ten-year-old or my thirteen-year-old son wouldn't try these. They're actual crickets They're and, actual, lar- and larvae. larvae. I mean, it's like yeah, I got them at a store. I walked into a store and I'm like, "Who's buying these?" I love on the bottom. It says Best Buy, March fifth, two thousand twenty. So you just got to make sure you eat these crickets before yeah. twenty twenty. Glenn Beck Mercury Love Courage Truth Glenn as you know, uh, one of my heroes is George Washington, and I have to say that this is probably this is probably the greatest day uh, since he since he passed away. I mean, he's looking down on us today and going, "Thank you, thank you for somebody. Somebody finally did it." George Washington University, our, in our nation's capital, has been molding minds now for almost two centuries, and it's it's of course one of the most prestigious and, and highest ranked institutions in America. And every student, though, that has graced the hallowed halls of GW have have come away with a great education, or so we thought, so we thought, until now. Um, they had a deficiency in their expensive education, and finally, one brave professor at GW is, is stepping up to do something about this deficiency. He's, he's tackling one of the most troubling problems of our time, and one that really none of us have the courage to talk about. 
He is leading a life-changing seminar on, quote, Christian privilege in America. There, I said it. Okay, finally, it's out. Christian privilege. It's been the uh, non-GOP elephant in the room since America's founding, really, that Christians get all the privileges. Well, that and white people. Oh, and men. White men, Christians, oh my gosh, they're the worst. The founders set it up that way, you know, in the Constitution. Uh, It's in the Bill of Rights. Look it up. White privilege, male privilege, Christian privilege. You know, white privilege is so five minutes ago. Christian privilege is really what's keeping everybody down. Actually, white privilege is still a thing, but that's also um, uh, mentioned under the seminar's uh, learning objectives. So, uh, but I guess white privilege kind of goes hand in hand with Christian privilege, doesn't it? I'm not sure anymore. Tomato, tomato, who knows? The professor is Timothy Kane, and he plans to explore how Christians in the U.S. experience life in an easier way than non-Christians. Mm, yeah, I, I probably, because we're about 70%, we claim to be about 70 or so percent Christian. I don't know if anybody's actually living it anymore, but yeah. I'm sure it'll include a full analysis of the way, you know, Christians, for instance, in Sutherland, uh, Sutherland Springs, Texas, have experienced uh, life in an easier way since last November. In his seminar description, Professor Kane asks, even with the separation of church and state, are there places where Christians have a built-in advantage over non-Christians? Of course, of course, absolutely. Like magical places like uh, California. Because I'm sure he's going to discuss the special Christian privilege of the California cafe owners who get to play their Christian music whenever they want in their privately owned business. Oh, no, wait, hold on. Sorry, it's backward. They don't actually get to enjoy that special privilege. They were actually singled out because they were Christian. And they're about to be evicted from the building where they run their business and have run it for 11 years because one person complained. Ah. If Professor Kane honestly thinks Christian privilege exists in America, much less the world, I don't think he gets outside of his bubble very often. A more enlightening seminar might might be one on the progressive university privilege to help us understand how professors like Kane continue to get paid for coming up with crap like this. It's Wednesday, April 4th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Our universities are becoming indoctrination camps. That's all they are. They're teaching your kids the things that they really need to know. No, my kid needs to know math and science and literature. That's what my kid needs to know. And you're not teaching him any of that. You're teaching him all this bullcrap of privilege. You know what? Here it is. Here's the lesson everybody needs. Life is not fair. You may not get everything that you want. You may not get anything that you want. But continue to pick yourself up and keep going. The Constitution and, and, and with Lady Justice, who is blind, is not supposed to be granting special favors for anyone, no matter their color, their creed, no matter what it is. You break the law, you go to jail. You, you succeed, good for you. Keep going. And now that you have more things, more stuff, we'll protect people from stealing that from you. That's the lesson. Now, can we get down to math and science, please? 
Charles Murth, uh, uh, Murray is a uh, is an author. He's a he's a he's a scholar. He's a brilliant political science mind from um, MIT, and he has his BA in history from uh, Harvard. He's written several books. He's controversial because he looks at the facts and then says them, no matter what people want to think. He wrote the bell curve. Uh, he wrote Losing Ground, which um, you know was the was credited as the reason why we had uh, the Welfare Reform Act of 1996. Uh, he's also written What It Means to Be a Libertarian, In Our Hands, Real Education, and then um, uh, Coming Apart, which I just finished reading, and I know I'm way late on it because it came out in 2012, but it's it's a fascinating look at America and how we are coming apart. What has changed? He also has his recent book out, By the People, Rebuilding Liberty Without Permission, we wanted to get him on um, because he's a, a fascinating man. We'll have you looking at things in a completely different way quickly. Welcome to the program, Charles Murray. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. So, um, Charles, let's start with let's start with this. Um, any comments on the Christian privilege thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's it's actually laughable. I, I understand that it's serious, and uh, that I would be very unwilling to pay sixty grand a year. Uh, to uh, college uh, these days, like I did with my kids in earlier years, because it's gotten so bad. So I'm, I'm not laughing because it's not a problem. I'm laughing because it's so silly. It's it's uh, it's uh, the privilege is the one you refer to. If you want to talk about privilege, it is that if you go to Harvard or Princeton or Yale or a variety of other uh, highly prestigious colleges. You get interviewed by places that aren't going to interview you for jobs. I mean, I'm talking about, uh, you know, Goldman Sachs and things like that. That's that's privilege mm-hmm. when you get access to that that kind of uh, job opportunity that mm-hmm. can make you fabulously wealthy. There are a whole variety of things that the new upper class, which is my label for this educated class, have going for them, whereby they have crafted a world that is perfectly suited to what they do best, that's privilege in a real, concrete, powerful sense that makes any Christian privilege trivial. So, I, you know, in reading your book, it is just, it's just fascinating the way you use uh, stats and the, and the way you view things and, and compare apples to apples. Um, but, you know, you wrote this in 2012, and it is all it's all heavy on the tree now. This fruit is very ripe. Can you can yeah. you kind of go down a little bit and explain uh, what is happening to us right now? Well, yeah, just uh, this is the Cliff Notes version of the of the argument. It's real simple. That you had two things happen about half a century ago in the 1950s and thereafter, and one was that you had the good schools in this country became much more uh, willing to take kids from all over the country. I went to Harvard in the fall of 1961 uh, from Newton, Iowa. I would have never thought of applying to Harvard uh, 20 years earlier. Uh, th- that was one thing that happened. And in a sense, Glenn, that's good. I mean, you know, kids with talent get a chance to fulfill it. That's great. Uh, but what that did was over time, as the decades went on, it created a kind of new culture of all these kids who are really, really smart and uh, who 
who become isolated from each from the rest of the country I, lo- they weren't before. I love in your book the way you describe this that because we all went to school with a geek we, i mean i went to a, uh, went to school with a guy who was a math genius uh, first chair violinist uh he had perfect pitch i mean the guy was you know and good looking and i just i wanted to stone him to death if i would have lived in biblical days i would have led the charge Um, but you know i don't know what he's doing now but he was very isolated in some ways because he was so smart um and you know i i always you know when when he went off to college i always wondered what that was like because now he was in a group of a bunch of other really, really smart people. And the way you describe this and what happens is fascinating. And it's, it's much, much different than it used to be. You know, think about this way, Glenn. If you're talking about, let's say, people with high IQs, and let's just say that's people with IQs of 130 above, uh, which I hasten to add uh, does not make them wise. It does not make them generous. It's not associated with any of these other virtues. It's just they're real smart. Okay. In 1900, only five or 10% of that really, really smart subset even went to college. Most of the people who were super smart were working as factory workers. About half of them were housewives. And you had, you had a huge mix in the country. And what's happened now is that you have these kids who are super smart, who increasingly are going to school with each other, and they're getting jobs in the same kinds of, of cities afterwards. Let me give you a quick example of that, that, that'll give you a, an idea of it. When I went to Harvard in the fall of 1961, uh, if you walked outside Harvard Yard, you were in a sort of middle-class Boston neighborhood. You know, there are hardware stores, there were uh, uh, little grocery stores, there were, it was, this was not an elite place outside the precincts of the walls of Harvard. You go to Cambridge, Massachusetts today, and it has glossy little restaurants of every conceivable kind, you know, uh, all sorts of boutique shops. It has not just one, but two whole food stores within walking distance of Harvard Yard. It is an enclave now which is completely different from the way it used to be. And once you're in that enclave at the age of 18, as a, as a freshman, you're likely to stay in that enclave for the rest of your life. And you are also likely to think this is the way real people live. And you begin to look down on real people. And, and I want to take that now. You've just described the elite. I'm going to take a break and come back. You describe what's happened to the, the other half of America. Charles Murray is the author of the book Coming Apart, The State of White America, 1960 to 2010. Fascinating book. We'll get back to him in just a second. I want to talk to you a little bit about gold line. There is, um, you know, volatility in the stock market. Uh, currently down 347 points. Was down 500 points about an hour ago. What's going to happen? I don't know. Uh, the world is in turmoil. We now have tariffs that are going on. We're in a tariff war. We've got Bitcoin coming out. Is that going up? Is that going down? Is that, uh, is that real or is that fake? I don't know. I do know this. When the world goes unstable and when in, uh, interest rates are starting to go up because uh, of inflation, gold always goes up. When the world goes insane, you know, when they lose their marbles, that's when people run to gold. 
I don't I don't buy it for an investment. I don't listen to me on investments. I'm, I'm I don't have any idea what I'm doing on investments. I buy it as an insurance policy just in case the world goes insane, which it always does. Um, you have something. I hope to be able to pass mine on to my children. Gold is not an all in strategy, but there is uh, there is help out there to spread out the risk and look at what's happening to the markets. Spread out your risk. You can diversify and you can do that now. No time better uh, to uh, diversify than right now with Goldline. I want you to call them at 866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE. Talk to them about their new IRA program. Uh, through the end of the month, Goldline is offering $750 in free coins in, if you purchase 25000 or more in their industry-leading Express IRA program. Also, they're going to give you a St. Godin's coin. This is a great coin. Um, it's a copper St. Godin's coin. Just for calling, all you have to do is just ask them at 866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Charles Murray is the author of the book Coming Apart, The State of White America, 1960 to uh, 2010. Uh, I started reading it here recently, and I'm, I'm just I'm fascinated by it because it's all starting to happen uh, now, and it's all being misdiagnosed. Uh, people are saying that it's racism on the left, uh, and the right is saying that it's elitism, but there's, there's actual reasons for why this is coming apart, and we're not addressing any of those. So Charles just explained why the... You know why the um, the elites have started to pull away uh, from the uh, from the average American, and it's because they 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 used to go to college in their own area. The colleges weren't elite like they are now, and you would pretty much go home and you'd you'd pretty much uh, live the same kind of life as everybody else around you, which is not happening yeah, anymore. Also, yeah, you were mixed up with all sorts of other people too, because. Look, here's an example. Uh, in an elite neighborhood like the North Shore of Chicago or whatever, which used to be prestigious in 1960, the same way it is now. But in 1960, uh, the, the, the wealthy executives in the North Shore of Chicago were mostly married to high school graduates, you know? And, and you go to those same kinds of neighborhoods today. They haven't married the girl next door. I'm talking about the guys now who are very successful. Uh, they've married the graduate from Yale Law School that their company was litigating against mm-hmm. and that, that uh, fell in love with. You, you've, got, you've got people being reinforced in these, these bubbles. Here's an example for you, Glenn. If you live in a, uh, an affluent neighborhood and you send your kids to even to the public schools if it's in a rich neighborhood, uh, you're probably not going to have your child meet anyone who makes whose parents make a living with their hands. They're not going to meet anyone who isn't real smart. And as a result, they get to be 25, 30, 35 years old. And they sort of assume that all these people out in flyover country are really stupid and really can't be trusted to manage their own affairs. And it's we smart people who have to make the choices for them. 
that's a very common attitude. So tell me what's happening to the to the you know other half of America. Well, things started to fall apart. Uh, in, in, and now I'm, in the book, I talk exclusively about white America. And the reason I did that, Glenn, was originally just because I didn't want people to think these problems are only in the black community or mm-hmm. Hispanic community. Mm-hmm. As it turned out, there were even bigger problems going on in white America than we realized. A lot of demoralization. Uh, that demoralization came from all sorts of things. Part of it was the economy. Uh, another part of it was the, the ways in which white working class Americans who were applying for the police academy or for the firefighting academy uh, found that they weren't getting in because affirmative action, even though they, you know, they'd taken the entrance examinations and mm-hmm. done very well, affirmative action was making it harder for them. There were a, there were a variety of other things going on uh, that undermined the role of the male as you know, putting food on the table and a mm-hmm. roof over the head, right. and, the, and the, the you know the respect he got for that that was being undermined by feminism in in large part by the sexual revolution. In another part, though, because guess what? Uh, a lot of guys in their early twenties who were getting all the sex they wanted to without getting married didn't feel any strong urge to get married. Right. So marriage <laughs> marriage rates fell; they plummeted in uh, the white working class. And all of these things just change the nature of life in white working class neighborhoods for the worse. So now we have a group of people who are, um, you know, if you don't if you don't finish high school, you're most likely to marry somebody who didn't finish high school. Um, Mm -hmm. If you went to college, you're most likely to marry somebody who went to college. So it's 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 a normal, natural thing, I think. Um, and, and I, I, I don't necessarily think that's anything nefarious. It's just the way it has, it has happened, but it is splitting us apart. Is there a way to put this back together? Well, you know, I don't believe in government programs as a way to do that. Right. I, I, I don't think, I don't think it's going to help to try to force people to have more contact with each other because you're right. People are doing what comes naturally. Look, when you get married, you want to marry somebody who gets your jokes, mm-hmm. you know, and you want to marry someone who you can talk to and so forth. Well, that does lead people with common interests and to some degree common abilities mm-hmm. to marry each other. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with it. But here's the bad part, which is that life gets really thinned out when you are cocooned in this elite bubble. Uh, I live in a town of 152 people, mm. 60 miles out of D.C. I'm talking to you right now, looking out my back window over the farm lands next door. And we moved here in 1989 uh, in large part because I didn't want my little children at that point to grow up only knowing the people who lived in northwest Washington. Okay, so hold on just a second, uh, Charles. As we get to... What can we do and not a government program? And I also want to talk to him a little bit about our own responsibility when it comes to social media. What's happening to us there when we come back? Glenn Beck Mercury.
This is the Glenn Beck Program. Talking to Charles Murray, um, author of many, many books. We happen to be talking about Coming Apart, the uh, State of White America, uh, 1960 and 2010. It's a must read. It's a really great book. Um, but, um, Charles, you were talking about, you know, in 1989, you move your kids to the farm so they, you know, they wouldn't get caught in this trap. I did the same thing. We have a farm in a town of like 500 people. And while I can't live there because I, I work in, in the city, you know, we, we spend all of our time off there. And, you know, the kids, you know, when they're here, they're not putting their, they're not putting their arm in the back of a cow, you know what I mean, to check if she's pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. But out there she is. And my kids and I have really learned an important lesson that um, the people in many ways live a better life. In some ways, you know, the back of the cow, exactly. not so much, but it's just different. It's just different. Now, the way, the way I often put it is that life just has a lot more texture when you're engaged with people who, uh, who are Stick not their... all lawyers. <laughs> yeah. They're not all... They're not all rich. Yes. You have neighbors who still help each other, who work with each other. You have things going on that are real life in small communities when you get out of these enclaves. But, and the, you ask for the answer. The solution is for people who are currently living in these elite bubbles to realize life is more fun if you get out of them. So that's that. But you you talk also about the the you know middle of America that the other half that didn't go to an elite college, they're tending to lose some of the moral principles. Yeah, and then the the, the collapse of marriage is the biggest problem here, because what makes uh, communities work, whether they're urban communities or small towns, is the married couple that are trying to create an environment for their kids that is good. And that's why you have the little league teams that the fathers are coaching. That's why you have people attending the PTAs. That's why you have all sorts of these interactions. And once marriage goes downhill, uh, single guys don't very often coach little league teams. You know, single dads don't. And, and this problem, I have no idea how you fix, except, I guess, Glenn, just as I want to say to the people in the bubbles, that life is more fun outside the bubble. I want to say to people who are not getting married that a good marriage is the best thing that will ever happen to you. And it's, it's worth just going way out of your way to try to find that. My daughter was going to Fordham and she met her now husband and uh, she was a uh, junior, I think maybe a sophomore. And she said to me, uh, you know, she was talking to me about him and I really liked him and, and I said, so is he the one? She said, yeah, he's the one. I said, so when are you guys getting married? And she said, well, not until after we get out of marry, not until we get out of college, and then we'll, you know, settle down. And I said, what? And she said, Dad, you know, it's just people don't do that anymore. You know, the world just frowns on you. And I said, wow, I didn't think that my child would care about appearances. I said, you, when you find the right person, spend every second with them in marriage it changes everything and they are happily married now and she got she got married almost right away but her 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 professors looked at her when she said i i'm not going to be here i'm i'm going to you know i'm getting married they all looked at her like what is wrong with you yeah 
and and an awful lot of that is uh, exaggerated too once you get into the elite school. So even to get married in your 20s is considered too young. And uh, you don't get married until you're 32, 33. You're already making a quarter million dollars a year. And, you know, (laughs) that kind of approach to life uh, I think is missing the point in lots of important ways. One of the really interesting points you make, we're talking to Charles Murray, by the way, uh, uh, author of the book Coming Apart. One of the really interesting points you make in the book is how sort of the great society welfare programs of the 60s uh, led to uh, sort of a um, a degradation of, of, of the four pillars of American exceptionalism. You just talked about marriage, the others being religiosity, industriousness, and honesty. Uh, can you talk about the, the relationship between those programs and the changes in our attitude of those main points yeah. of American exceptionalism? Yeah, the, there's, they're, they're pretty simple. Uh, in all sorts of ways during the 1960s, when you greatly expanded the uh, the scope of things that government did for single women, for example, it made it economically a lot more feasible to have a baby uh, without a husband than it used to be. I'm not saying it was easy. I'm not saying that they were you know, getting rich from having babies on welfare. No, but it became possible in a way that had not been possible. Well, guess what? When it becomes easier economically, then more women start to have babies in those circumstances, and then the stigma starts to erode. Because when you got one girl in the high school class who's pregnant, uh, that's kind of a tough position to be in. When you got six, seven, eight, or nine, when you start to have a daycare center for the babies, mm-hmm. you got a problem in terms of the stigma. So the stigma goes away. That, that was the one thing. The whole problem with with crime, that the 1960s when crime started to shoot up and continue to shoot up for the next three decades because of changes in the criminal justice system, whereby the old, rather simple formula, you commit a serious crime, you're going to go to jail, uh, that broke down. People now talk about the incarceration, mass incarceration. Well, learn your history. The crime surge started when we stopped incarcerating people who committed serious crimes, and we've been trying to catch up with it ever since. We've got a lot to answer for, uh, Glenn. I think you're a baby boomer like me, and uh, if, uh, we, did all, we, were, we were advocating all sorts of policies in the 1960s and 70s which were just a disaster for the culture. Yeah, that would be my sister that did that, not me. <laughs> not me. I, <laughs> you're, you're I'm not born in 1964, that, so I'm at the very last year of that. Uh, and, you know, I'm kind of sitting here watching it and, and seeing that, uh, you know, it, 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 it doesn't work, and nor do the, the policies that we're talking about today. I mean, we're, today we're talking about the shooter in um, California, the killer, that went out and tried to uh, kill people at YouTube. She's crazy. She's out of her mind crazy. But nobody's talking about what is what is the underlying problem? We we had a lot of guns forever in America. You could go in and as a, you know, a 10 year old kid and go into a store and buy a gun and bullets in the 1960s. It wasn't a problem. There's a hole in our society right now that none of us seem to want to address. And it's a, it's a cultural hole. It is. Uh, and, and the problem is that it seems to be getting worse. Um, here's a problem we haven't talked about. In 1960, if you were a guy of working age and you were reasonably healthy, you were in the labor force. I mean, if you weren't in the labor force, 
everybody got in your back, whether it was your girlfriend or mm-hmm. your parents or your or, or if the other guys would get in your back if you weren't either working or looking hard for work. Now we've got uh, even in a time of full employment, you got something in the order of 15 percent of working class guys in their 20s, 30s, 40s who aren't even looking for work. That is a new phenomenon whereby you have a breakdown in the social fabric that makes it, that's another thing that contributes to the deterioration of life in in working class America. How did that come about? Once again, it became possible to exist at the margins of society in ways that it was much harder to exist in, in previous years, and a lot of that was cultural. You were a bum if you behaved that way, and you're no longer a bum. Hmm. Talking to Charles Murphy, uh, Murray, I um, I want to continue our conversation here just a bit with you, um, Charles, and and, uh, and and delve a little bit deeper into, uh, you know, what can be done and the role of social media. Is that is that also teaching us things? Are we nobody wants to take personal responsibility on anything? Everybody wants to say, oh, well, maybe we should you know change uh, Facebook into a utility or whatever. No, well, no, we are Facebook. We are Twitter. We are our own worst enemy. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that when we come back. Charles Murray, the book is uh, coming apart. Came out a few years ago, but it's really well worth a read now because it's, you know, we're, we're being pushed into racism and, and pushed into this is what the problem is. No, no, the, there's some actual stats here that show what the problem is. Let's deal with the stats and the facts. Our sponsor this half hour, we want to thank so much for being just a loyal sponsor for the last uh, 10 years or so. It's Liberty Safe. They make great safes, and now they make it easy to own one at LibertySafe.com. You can buy a Liberty Safe at a great price, and you can receive 12 months interest-free payment with zero down and zero APR. They even offer Liberty Safes for as low as $20 a month. Now, I've been working for Liberty when they were making, I think, I, I don't even remember, a couple of, of a, a handful of safes a week. Now they have built factory after factory after factory, and they are assembling these um, in the same great way that they always have with personal detail and personal attention to make sure it is the best built safe you can buy. But they're all made here in America. So buy a Liberty Safe now and have it professionally installed by one of their local dealers because they're great. Interest-free, 12 months, for as low as $20 a month on approved credit. Act now and protect what you value most. LibertySafe.com, the best-built safes uh, on the planet, bar none. It's LibertySafe.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Charles Murray is um, the author of uh, Coming Apart, The State of White America. And, uh, and, and Charles, I want to ask you a question. This is my perception, okay, of, of, of how things are. That there is, there's always been a group of racists, um, and they're on both sides, all sides. Um, it's a human problem. However, and we were getting better as a society on the whole. 
Um, however, we are being pushed and painted as racist and, you know, Islamophobes and everything else. And this is allowing these crazy nut jobs to be able to come out from under, you know, under the wraps, out of the holes that they have always been in and start to make points and say, see, they are coming after you. They are. See, this is a problem. And so we're yeah. we're not more racist. We're, we're it's just that we're kind of being pushed into corners. Is 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 that you accurate? Know, we're, we're we're reaping what we sowed. Uh, back in ni- the nineteen sixties, when we adopted uh, uh, the rule that it is okay to treat people by their race as long as you're doing it for the right reasons, we opened Pandora's box. Uh, you know, at the nineteen sixty four Civil Rights Act. I wish they had had as the core of that, there shall be no law that gives one race advantage over another legally of any kind. And just said, well, that, that. That, you know, here we are on the anniversary of Martin Luther King's death. And that really was his point, wasn't it? His, his yeah, point was America live up to the words you wrote in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And what happened was that we said, I did we gave identity politics the green light. It's great for black people to, to identify with being black and great for uh, Latinos to identify as Latinos and so forth. And as that went on, and as the, the kind of anger that was coming out uh, toward whites increased, all at once you had the 70-odd percent of the people in this country who are white who started to say, or at least some of them did, hey, uh, what's you know, what's good for them is good for us. I'm going to start identifying as being white, mm-hmm. as being my primary way of thinking about myself. It, 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 was, it was the inevitable consequence of saying it's okay to treat people differently by race. How much of a role is social media playing in the acceleration of, of our country being torn apart? Uh, it, is, it is amplifying all of our natural tendencies to only talk to people who think the same things we do. So now you can get your news from only sources that agree with you. You can interact with only people who politically agree with you. And that is happening big time on both the left and the right, which I think accounts for a lot of this tendency to say, if somebody disagrees with me politically, they are not just disagreeing with me on a political issue. They are bad. They are bad people. And that's driving me nuts because <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so widespread now. In, in looking at all the stats and, and studying this for so long and being a watchman on the, the tower and the gates and, and blowing the horn and nobody listening, are you, are you, are you still optimistic I'm I'm uh, I'm, a, I'm optimistic for the long term, Glenn. I cannot imagine that 200 years from now, with all of the increases in wealth and technology that will have occurred, that we still think that a big government running our lives minutely is a great idea. I, I think that that a lot of the trends in technology and wealth are going to make it easier for us to live three lives. But Glenn, you and I are part of. Here's where I get pessimistic. Uh, we both. Uh, in one way or another, are Madisonians. I mean, we are committed to the original American ideals of limited government and freedom. And I'm afraid over the last few years, we've discovered 
a whole lot of people who talked a good game with regard to that didn't really believe it when push came to shove. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, pe- I'm pessimistic in the short term. Uh, I don't know where we resuscitate a, a movement that says, for heaven's sakes, let people live their lives as they see fit. I don't see a constituency for that anymore. Believe it or not, I think I do. Um, I, I think I do know where that, that movement is beginning, and it's strange. And um, we'll talk about it in the next couple of weeks. Charles, I'd love to have you back on again. There's so much I want to talk to you about, about libertarianism and everything else. I can't thank you enough for joining us. Thank you, Charles. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Author of the book, Coming Apart. Have you read that yet, Stu? Uh, only parts of it. I've, I've you know... The bell curve from back yeah. in the day had read, uh, and, I, I, and he's one of the one of the smartest minds there is. I started reading this because I'm, I'm reading something. I was reading something else, and it references, and I'm like, man, he keeps coming back to him and and this particular book. I got to read it. It is mind boggling, and all of a sudden, it's kind of like understanding the progressive movement. All of a sudden, when you understand what he's saying about wh- how America is coming apart, all of a sudden the fog begins to clear, and you're like, oh wow, this is the underlying problem, Glenn. Back, Mercury. Love, courage, truth. Glenn Beck. Okay, you might be seeing some pictures of something on TV that looks like a, you know, I don't know, a retro stereo receiver or a synthesizer without keys. You know, those old kinds from the 70s. It's about the size of a suitcase. But here's what it can do. Not play music. It can eavesdrop on phone calls and intercept messages. They're, they're called cell site simulators or stingrays. And for the very first time, the government has eh, kind of admitted that they exist. Well, it'd be pretty hard to deny it because we have pictures of them now. According to the Associated Press, foreign spies and criminals may be using them now to track individual cell phones in Washington, D.C., the home of the CIA, FBI, and NSA, and other security organizations. A lot of the agents and operatives of these agencies with cell phones full of sensitive information, live in the D.C. area, and they believe now these uh, things are being used. I wonder by whom? I wonder who has, huh? Oh, foreign governments. Probably Canada. Stingrays now are apparently fairly common. Many police departments use them to determine the exact location of a cell phone. Hmm. That's weird, because... I just have find my phone on my, I just use that app if I'm looking for, I wonder why the police need to have, they should try that app, find my phone. Or are they looking for the exact location of somebody else's phone? In the wrong hands, which is pretty much everybody, I think, stingrays can be used for more nefarious purposes like spreading malware. In November, Senator Ron Wyden wrote a letter to the Department of Homeland Security requesting information about the possibility of cell site simulators in the D.C. area. In response, the Department of Homeland Security official Christopher Krebs wrote, uh, which they leaked yesterday, that malicious actors have been using the devices to unlawfully track and monitor cell phone users. This threatens the security of communications, resulting in safety, economic, and privacy risks, end quote. 
Oh, well, that's good. I mean, Stu, I can't imagine these are being used by foreign countries. Again, I'm pretty sure it's Canada. I can't imagine that anyone would be compromised in Washington. Do you? I mean, I'm sure they're all, they've got nothing to hide, these congressmen. They all live pure lives that cannot they're be the, questioned. They're the better, better angels of us. They are. So nobody's listening to conversations or intercepting phone calls there and gathering dirt on these guys. Oh, no. No, no, no they're no, completely no, no, beyond that. Anyway, the letter was vague beyond that, not to mention the who, what, and why, and no mention of how many or how much. The DHS has conducted a series of examinations, but the details are hazy at best. Contractors and phone companies have had a role in the investigation. In response to the letter, Senator Wyden said that leaving security, I'm quoting, to the phone companies has proven to be disastrous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <gasps> you know who's really good at phone security? We should leave it in the hands of the NSA because I trust them. It's Wednesday, April 4th. Mm. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. I want to talk about something happy. Hey, I saw Chappaquiddick. Not that this was happy. I saw Chappaquiddick <laughs> last night. You did? Yeah, I did. I, and I watched it. It was fascinating. I cannot believe that movie has been made. Oh, I've got a great theory on why it was made. Um, but I watched it last night. I really liked it. I thought it was Jim Gaffigan is he's becoming a great actor. He's awesome. Um, uh, but uh, uh, it was well acted. It was well done. Um, this it, isn't it like told the truth. It was not doesn't he doesn't come out looking good. <laughs> Kennedy. Yeah. So I watched it with my eldest daughter, Mary, and then um, the cousins, her cousins. So my nieces and nephews. And so we sat down and we watched it and and uh, and I said beforehand, do you guys know anything about Chappaquiddick? And they were like, no. I said, do you even know what it is? No. Um, okay. Do you know anything about Ted Kennedy? Uh, is he a brother or cousin of John F. Kennedy? Do you know anything about Joseph P. Kennedy? Mm, no, that's his dad. Oh, this is going to be interesting. So uh, we watched it, and as we're watching it, uh, they said, uh, like, is this a true story? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Joseph B. Kennedy, that's what he was like? Jack Kennedy's dad, he was like that? Oh, yeah, worse. He was a bootlegger. What? <laughs> okay. He he kills... Um, Mary Jo Kopechny. Oh, spoiler okay. alert. Oh, sorry. They, he kills Mary Jo Kopechny. And they are uh, and, and they are immediately like, what? He just left? What do you mean he just left? <laughs> One of them looks at me and says, I, don't tell me the ending, but he never became like a senator after this again, did he? <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, you've got to watch this. And it really shows, it really shows the... Um, the evil and the, I mean, Joseph B. Kennedy is a monster. The Ted Kennedy is just a slime ball. Uh, and, uh, and it just, it just shows how monstrous this machine was. And it's really well done. Really, really well done. Yeah. That's, that's one of the notable parts about it is it's not like some, some, you know, right wing company that doesn't actually make movies decided mm -hmm. to make a movie about that's anti 
Ted Kennedy. Yeah, like this is a no, mainstream is, Hollywood release. Yeah, and it's and it's got good actors in it. I mean, really, really well done. Again, how is this movie made? Okay, so how, how? I got a, I got a theory. First of all, you have to see it because uh, my uh, my daughter and the uh, the nieces and nephews all said, "I said, so what do you think? What do you take away from that?" And they're like, "That I know nothing." That I know absolutely mm. nothing. If that guy was in the service of our country and nobody said anything, really nobody cared. And I said, no, uh-uh. fascinating. Well, half the country did. But if it would have been reversed, perhaps that same half wouldn't have cared. You know, I, I don't know. And so they were really fascinated by the history of it, which I really liked. And they liked the movie. Now, why is this made? My theory. Everyone knew he was a dirtbag. Everyone knew he was a dirtbag. Okay. He is. I'll bet you that he was one step down from uh, Weinstein. Okay. I'll bet you. You can't get away. Literally get away with murder. We should be fair. We have no evidence that Harvey Weinstein has killed anyone. (laughs) So I don't know if one step down is the right way. Well, but he didn't. I mean, to to be fair to him, I I shouldn't have said murder. He didn't murder her. Um, He just fled the scene. uh, And then (laughs) she died. So it was manslaughter for sure. Um, It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't an intentional planned murder. Yeah, it wasn't a murder. It was definitely manslaughter. But if if you can be involved in somebody's death and you can uh, just do everything that they did, which is all outlined in this movie, do everything that they did to cover it up and to get you, get you off. Um, you can't tell me that you're not a dirt bag for the rest of your life. I mean, just a dirt bag. So, uh, I think that everybody knew that he was a dirt bag, but he was effective and he was an effective tool. And so, you know, they got into bed with him, so to speak, and probably literally with some, got into bed with him and they did it just because we've got to fight the fight and we've got to keep the enemy at the at bay and blah 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 but now that he's dead now you can there's enough distance hmm. between where you can say yeah I was really never for that guy I mean he was a bad guy and you know it's tell the truth on him and nobody has any political reason to hold him up anymore because the Kennedys are over. You know what I mean? Mm. So there's no political power gained from keeping this story away. And there's no real political power gained by destroying it. Because what are the Kennedys now? That's interesting. We've seen a little bit of that since, I don't know, mid-November 2016 with Bill Clinton. All of a sudden, these rape allegations and, and accusations of sexual harassment are being held are, are, are people are receptive to them on the left when bill and hillary die uh, i will tell you that i believe within five years a horrifying movie about them will come out a movie that just shows them as nasty backstabbing money grabbing mm. he'll actually end up in better light than she will but he will end up as a just a uh, you know, just the sex fiend that I think he, he he may not be anymore, but he was at some point just this guy who will do anything. And she is just this master, you know, manipulator. And 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 you watch 
once they die and if she keeps talking it may be before they die because they may just say shut up and they're already saying it but she's not listening and if she continues down this road i think somebody will threaten we're going to tell your story we're just going to tell your story because we all know it you're not good Mm, so shut up shut up shut up Shut up. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you brought up Weinstein, too. I mean, it's the same similar thing played out. When he was effective to their politics, lots they of people him. knew the story, and lots of people didn't tell the story. Now that it's out, they're all saying how we knew he was a terrible guy. I mean, they'll be like, well, we well, didn't necessarily know he was raping people, but right. we knew he was one of the worst people on the planet. So, we just never said anything. So here's the problem. Here's the problem. We, we want to believe the best in people. Unless they're against us. And then we want to believe the worst in people. And the truth probably is somewhere in between on everybody. Okay. There are those exceptions like Harvey Weinstein that there is a monster. Ted Kennedy, he did do it. But if you knew Ted Kennedy on the periphery, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And you always saw him as a good guy, but you knew that he was a scumbag and, and he was drinking and he was probably whoring around. You would say, look, you know, I don't know. I don't know what happened to him there, but he's, you know, he didn't kill anybody because you want to believe that it's human nature. We want to believe that, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, and and so you can't I I don't throw people under the bus, per se, for for um, Bill Clinton. I I do throw you under the bus on the whole Monica Lewinsky thing. But Bill Clinton, if you were a friend of Bill Clinton's, I bet you you would say he's a dog, but he's not a rapist. Right. You might not believe Juanita Broderick. Right. But you know that he's sleeping around with Mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. But he's not a rapist. Come on. He's a really nice guy. He's just like you and me. And he gets a bad name because people are after him. He was the president and everything else. He's not a rapist. And I bet you that that's what most people believe. And most people believe that about Harvey Weinstein, I think. That they 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 knew that he was a whoremonger, but they didn't think that this stuff was really going on. They didn't know the worst of it, probably. Right. Many of them, at right. least. Right. Uh, that's true. I mean, there there are certain defining acts of your life, however, that you don't get the good guy thing, right? You know, if you kill someone <laughs> and you leave the scene yeah. of that murder and then cover yes. it up to protect your political life i will tell you unless you spend i mean because there are look there's redemption for everything yes right mm-hmm. if you spend the rest of your life apologizing for it it's one thing mm-hmm. he did not do that no you have to admit the problem and that's what this movie comes out with and it's really well done um who was the who was the guy in the office uh, you know that was always wearing the uh you know the like the collegiate tie he was a real goofy i mean they all were um you know him you know him look at the cast real quick but he plays a cousin um and he was ted kennedy's right hand man let me see the picture of him yeah ed helms yeah so um he plays a cousin of (laughs) ted kennedy and you know he's known as the fixer and i'll do whatever you know whatever i'll fix it for you i'll fix it because he believes in john and he believed in robert and he was always friends with Ted and Ted was always getting in trouble, but he understood Ted and everything else. And so Ted is like, fix it, fix it, fix it. And kind of abuses this guy. And, you know, in the movie, he's he goes only so far. And then when he realizes, wait, 
You didn't call the police. I told you to call the police. It was the right thing. He, you see that he is saying you're you're past the line here. You're past the line, and I, I and I don't even know who you are, and I don't want to know you. And you know when you get there, it, there really is that 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 is the choice. You know you you know if you're in that position and you never come back from it, that's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah, and and so good guy. Even if he's, you know, look how many Republican senators we we've seen many of them that were like, oh, I worked with Ted Kennedy. We worked on everything. He's a great guy. We could go out with di- to have dinner after we argued about a tough issue with the Senate, and not with a guy who did that. No. I, again, we've had people who were former terrorists on the air, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people who have said, hey, I did. Terrible things in my life. We had Jack Barsky on, who was a Russian spy spy for the Soviet Union against the United States. If you spend the rest of your life saying what I did there was wrong, and this is what I I learned about it, we totally get it. That's not what Kennedy did. No. He spent his whole life running from this. And and his whole life having everyone defend him, and his whole life having everyone say, oh, you're a monster for even bringing that up. Yeah. And now that he's dead and he has no power left, now everybody's like, yeah, no, he was he was a monster. Chappaquiddick, it's out in theaters now. You'll really. All right. It's this weekend, right? Is it this weekend? Yeah. I thought it came out last weekend. It's really good. You should you should go Friday. see it. Mm-hmm. All right. Another data breach. This time it's Orbitz, the popular travel booking platform. Uh, so no big deal there. I mean, they've only compromised. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's still less than a million people. It's only 880,000 customers. So if you did business with Orbitz between 2006 and, uh, or sorry, 2016 and 2017, you know, hackers have your credit card number and probably your name and date of birth and gender and phone number and addresses. But they can't do anything with that except destroy your life. Here's why you need... LifeLock Identity Theft Protection. With now the power of Norton Security to protect you against the threats of your identity and your devices that you're just not going to see or be able to fix on your own. If you have a problem, they're not only going to spot it, they're going to they have agents that will work to fix it. Now, nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock with Norton Security is able to uncover the threats that you might otherwise miss. So call LifeLock.com right now. 1-800-LIFELOCK. That's LifeLock.com. You can call them on the phone at 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use the promo code BECK and you'll get an additional 10% off your first year. Save 10% just by using promo code BECK at LifeLock.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. back so i have to tell you something I, just on a personal note i my life has changed since i started taking allergy shots and everybody is talking to me about how bad things are here in dallas right now with allergies and texas is the worst place for allergies i've ever lived i've lived all over the country that allergies here are i mean everything is big in texas 
they're just they're just they'll put you out. And so I finally had enough. And like at 52 years old, I went to go get allergy shots. And I I've taken them now for just over a year. I haven't had an allergy shot now since December because I haven't been able to book time to go back and have another test. Um, but my allergy, I've taken like three Alivert in the last, I don't know, six weeks. It's amazing. I used to be put out by by allergies. If you have allergies, I, it is the one thing in my life that I really think I wish I could go back in time and talk to myself. I mean, well, there's lots of things, but on the little scale, this is the one thing if I could go back and say, Glenn, what is wrong with you, man? Get them. Because I never thought that they would really work or whatever, and there was no difference. It's it's game changing. Absolutely game changing. Stu's been suffering with them for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I never really had an allergy issue until Texas. Texas, uh, is, Texas is really rough on yeah. me. Um, My son is he's 13 and he is he's like I am and horrible allergies. And I keep telling him, son, come on, come with me. And he's like, I'm not getting a shot every week. And I'm like, for two years, you get a shot for two years. And, you know, most likely they're over for the rest of your life. To every week for two years? No, it's every week. It's every week for a while, and then it's every other week, and then it's like uh, you know every third week, and then every month. I'm interested. I'm interested just because I spend I feel like a month or two a year now, just miserable, just in that like state of sort of sick. Yeah, you know, you're. Yeah. you're, you're it is. You're, I'm telling you, it's game changing. Really? Yeah, it's game changing. I had heard of this, and I, I wasn't honestly sure if it was, you know, Pinterest level medicine or no, actual it's, medicine. No, it's actually very dangerous. <laughs> Get a good doctor to do it because they can kill you if they don't do it right. You know, it's what you're allergic to. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, get it done. It's game changing. Glenn Beck, Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck program. Welcome to the uh, welcome to the program. Just writing a letter to quick letter to Jim Gaffigan, um, letting him know I watched uh, Chappaquiddick last night, and um, uh, I just want to read this before I send it off. I want to read this, make sure this is not offensive. No, because you know what, what I mean. I, no, no, no. I'm trying to I'm trying to give him a compliment. I just don't know how to explain it. I said you're really becoming a, an accomplished actor. It's really hard for people not to see the real person in quotes, as someone else, if they're as famous as you are. Jim Gaffigan is not who I was watching last night. Great job. I think that's a compliment to an actor, right? It is, right? right. But it, and it makes sense. He's not going to be like, what the hell do you mean Jim Gaffigan's not? Remember when we did that with Tony, what was his name? Tony, Tony Bennett. Bennett. Oh, God, mm-hmm. yeah. And we're like, hey, you know, I don't want to ask you, but I mean, I, I have to ask you if you'll sing, you know, I left my heart, but. You know, do, do you not? Are you tired of? You tired why would of, I be tired of singing that song? It's my most famous song. Oh my gosh! We're just yeah, trying to be nice to you, you old cretin. You. Plus, we've experienced people who hate singing their songs. Yes, like David Cassidy. Yeah, didn't well, like singing his songs. Well, and refused to. Refused to sing his own songs. Yeah, any for, of for them? a while he did. Yeah, yeah, for a while he was ashamed of them, and uh, I think but he I got over that. Him being nice. He was a nice guy. He just really did nice. not 
did yeah. not want to sing I Think I Love You or any yeah. Partridge Family stuff and refused to do it. Yeah. There was just a period of, of his well, life. Well, because it was like that's all he was for so long. Yeah. He couldn't get anything else for so long. And so when he tried to make a comeback, he was like, please don't bring that up. Please yeah. don't bring that up. So We're, all he would do when we brought him in was uh, I think he played the wedding march on the guitar. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. At our trailer park wedding. Yeah, we Pat and I. <laughs> it was fun because we're both we're both pastors of the Church of Universal Life, Modesto, California. Costs us twenty five bucks to to get the yeah, pastorship, but we're, but we're pastorships for life. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, so if you need to us. be married, we marry you. Can't get you a divorce, but we can marry you. And yeah. we don't believe in divorce. I think in all fifty states. Yeah. Anyway, yep. Yeah, so, um, mm-hmm. and I th- and I also believe India, but I'd have to look into that. Um, but uh, yeah, so we did a trailer park wedding in a bowling alley, and it was beautiful. You walk Very down the sounds alley. beautiful. Yeah, you yeah, walk down the bowling alley, uh, the, you know, the aisle. The aisle is the bowling alley itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then, you know, you each, after after you kiss the bride, then you each have to bowl a lane. And it was nice. <laughs> and the reception was beautiful with, with there, a, a beer fountain and everything. There, oh. there wasn't a dry eye in the bowling alley. Mm-hmm. No, no. What about the other bowlers? Dry eye. Were they? They were all weeping. They were weeping as well all while weeping. they were bowling? Yeah, mm-hmm. we could only get the lanes, you know, on league night. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> So it's hard to believe we did that looking back. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and no, it's hard to not, not hard to believe that we did that. It's hard to believe that somebody David agreed Cassidy to do it. did it. And two people. Yeah. You two know. people wanted to be married that way. Yeah. How that uh, I've married. I've married a few people. How that marriage. I'd like to, yeah. I, I don't do know. know. I have no idea. I'd love to hear if you were ever married by Glenn or Pat. <laughs> let us know how that's working out for you. I'm sure. Well, because if, you, sure. if you're taking yeah. your, your vows that seriously, that you're going to call well, a local about this. radio host and have them marry you at a bowling <laughs> what if alley. You were, not, if, you were married, if you were married by me in the 80s or the early 90s, and then you saw me on Fox and you were, you know, you were a Barack Obama guy, you must have been like, <laughs> all your wedding pictures have Glenn yeah. in it. <laughs> anyway, they thought that you were this like harmless, funny guy playing uh, pop hits. Before we get into something that Pat wants to talk about, which is really important, Pat, I got these. I got these at a store the other day. Stu won't eat them, but he's a vegetarian. Uh-huh. Um, they're crickets and larva. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But they're but, but they're, they're salt and vinegar larva. Well, one of them's bacon and cheese, according to the little box. Here. Isn't that gross? A box of crickets. These are real crickets. There is no way I would eat that. Right. So the question is: Would Jeffy eat them? Will Jeffy eat it? That's I a great segment. Doubt oh. it. You don't think he'd eat, you don't it? Think he'd eat that? If no. it's flavored by bacon and him... cheese? Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe then. We'll I mean, see. the other one's Mexican spice, the larva, but look at that. Ugh. Yeah, I feel like Mexican spice larva would not be tasty, but How the bacon and, and cheese crickets. How about salt and vinegar larva? The larvettes, it's the original worm snacks. So, um, <laughs> so like, don't, don't do fall for the not fall, except don't no fall imitation. It's <laughs> <laughs> like I always used to love uh, Breitbart had the, at the <laughs> top of their page for a while. The official Breitbart store. Because so many competitors were just selling these knockoff Breitbart products for you to buy. <laughs> like, I've got a knockoff Breitbart t-shirt. Who the hell would sell that? <laughs> All right. Uh, Pat. Yes. You want to talk about, I think, something that is really quite amazing. That the press is is really just saying, no, 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 that's not what happened here at all. You yeah, want to the, talk about Eichenwald? The Eichenwald? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shapiro battle? Yeah. Really uh, interesting, fascinating battle. They started going back and forth on Twitter. Friday. Uh, on Friday over the Kyle Kashev uh, appearance. And so they were debating gun control for a while. Mm-hmm. 
And then uh, Ben said, because because Eichenwald was actually mocking and insulting Kashev. Who's one of the students? At, uh, he's a pro-Second Amendment student at Parkland. Mm-hmm. And he was being insulted far worse than anything Laura Ingram said about yeah, David like, Hogg. Yeah, really, I really mean, bad. come on. Yeah, really I mean, bad. Calling him a, like, he was... Uh, he was shopping fantasies and he's troubled and he got that from some armchair psychologist that emailed him on him or something. So anyway, Shapiro said, well, maybe we should boycott MSNBC. And, uh, he, because his, his, uh, profile still says that he's a contributor at MSNBC and vanity fair too, right? Yeah. And vanity fair. Well, MSNBC said, "Yeah, uh, he doesn't work here, so don't boycott us." And he's and and so somebody asked him, "Are you not working at MSNBC anymore?" He said, "Oh, uh, yeah, I just forgot to m- remove that from my profile because it just mm. happened a few months ago." Mm-hmm. So then the discussion continued, and he uh, and since Shapiro realized he didn't work at MSNBC anymore, the other choice was Vanity Fair. Maybe we should. Maybe you should boycott Vanity Fair. How would that be? And uh, and Brian Stelter got into this. Be, must have seen the battle between mm-hmm. them. And he so he emailed Vanity Fair, and Vanity Fair didn't have him listed there either. So <laughs> Wait, Brian so- Stelter uh, tweeted out, "Hey, uh, do you still work at Vanity Fair?" He said, "Yeah, I'm a contributing editor." And uh, Vanity Fair said, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, no. And so he, he claims that's how he found out he doesn't work at Vanity Fair anymore. <laughs> Wait. Well, so I read this story last weird? night. I don't know where, what source I read this in. I read a different story. I read a story that, um, that he had quit Vanity Fair and, uh, and, and everybody was saying, yeah, that he could quit, blah, blah, blah. And I thought to myself, really? Because they never allowed me to quit, you know, immediately, even though that's mm-hmm. what happened. Oh, Glenn Beck was fired. No, I quit. Uh, same thing mm-hmm. with, you know, with Laura Ingram. Mm-hmm. She's going to be fired. She's going to be fired. She's going to be fired. The story I read that, that he quit Vanity Fair. I, not so, according no, to no. him, right? Not according to him. Wow. wow. And not according to Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair just didn't renew his contract. So and, what is and the he di- claims to have found out? Hell of a way to find out. Yeah, in a Twitter battle with uh, Ben Shapiro, that is kind of a weird way to find out. Uh, but this guy, I'm starting to wonder if his name is even Kurt Eichenwald. Is that even true? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, you know, it, you know what that sounds like. It exist? sounds like one of these guys who you know just makes things up. I mean, is oh, he yeah. does he have any credibility yeah. at all? The two places that he doesn't work, he's claiming that he worked at. Well, yeah. I think he, I Very think strange. he did work there at one point. You know, he, well, that he would like, be like me having up on my, you know, that you work uh, at the, Fox. I work at Fox, right, or CNN. Yeah. I work. How Glenn Beck? How does Glenn Beck work at Fox and CNN? Mm-hmm. Right, uh, he doesn't. They were sort of two different mm-hmm. times. Right, two different times. Yeah, and I don't work for them anymore. Uh, it's amazing. I'm glad you, uh, Pat, you brought up the uh, the Kyle Cash of that whole story, though. I was fascinated by that's the other part of this. That's yeah. really amazing. It is interesting. I mean, because it's weird because now you're seeing a Cash of, of uh, who's the kind of the pro Second Amendment student at Par- Parkland that's been in the media. There's obviously many others that aren't in the media, and the same thing with David Hogg, who's the anti gun guy who's been in the media largely. And there's obviously mm-hmm. others there, 
But like they just battle back and forth. And it's like at one point we had that idea that, you know, politics people we would say it's like it's like two high school cliques fighting against each other. Like now that really is what it is. Like we're actually mm-hmm. every day waking up to see what two high school students are saying about each other, which is so strange. But Kashev has been so much more appropriate in the way he's handled. He's made points based on the facts. Yeah. He has not insulted people. Uh, but he sh- is being insulted. I mean, which is huh? worse? Trafficking in fantasies and calling a 16 or 17-year-old kid troubled when you've never met him. No. You've never talked to him. Isn't that worse than using the word whining in a tweet? Kind of think so. Much worse. So let me let me say this. The left right now is talking about how they're just being bullies and and uh, and, you know, we've got to stop this because people are just so mean to these kids. I want to play something for you now. We've we've we talked about it yesterday and you may have heard this. You may not have. You may have just read about it. It was an interview that was uh, given to NRA TV by one of the teachers at the Parkland High School. And what she was saying in this interview said many things. One was the kids are not healing. Okay. The kids, this is just ripping the school apart every day by these two kids being in the mm. media all the time. It's, it's just ripping it apart because not everybody agrees. And they're starting to feel like this is just, you're just using this for stardom now. And so it's ripping it apart. And, and she said that kids are still crying in the hallways, et cetera, et cetera. And she said also that people if this is not universally accepted at the high school now i want to just play a little bit of the interview her voice may surprise you listen there is blood on many people's hands through this whole thing definitely on the principal's hands but sheriff israel definitely blood on his hands because the bso not only the school resource officer but no bso deputies ever went in even while shots were being okay stop so so this teacher goes on to talk about how, um, you know, there are other things that we should be looking at, et cetera, et cetera. But that's surprisingly not her real voice. Why does she need her voice disguised? Why does she refuse to come on camera? Is it because she's afraid of the right or she's afraid of losing her job, getting death threats, getting killed. What is it she's afraid of? Let's let's stop with the oh my gosh, she said whined. She she, she said he was whining. That's not bullying, that's life. Okay, that's life. You're going to meet people that say things about you that aren't true, that that you disagree with. And maybe sometimes they're right. Maybe sometimes they're wrong. But that's going to happen to you. Get over it. This is a problem. When we have a citizen in our own country saying, look, I have to tell you, the sheriff's department is out of control. We're not doing the basic things. And the school is tearing itself apart. But by the way, you have to disguise my voice. There's a problem. The big one. A big one. Yeah, there's no free speech anymore. Certainly can't have your livelihood if you exercise it in certain places. Yeah, you can say things. You just you can't can say pay things. bills while saying them. Right, right. You used to have to disguise. Be that way. You used to have to disguise your voice if you were going to come out against the president or you the were mob. Go, the mob. Yeah. You didn't have to do it because you were worried about the local sheriff, the media, or high school students. Just a different kind of mob. 
Pat Gray Unleashed coming up uh, in moments on the Blaze Radio and TV Network. Also, uh, one Pat Gray will also be appearing on uh, The News and Why It Matters, along with myself and Mr. Glenn Beck. If you have questions uh, for that show, you can uh, tweet them with the hashtag TheBlazeWhy. So do it and ask Glenn uncomfortable questions that we get to see him Wait a minute, I answering. don't know what that's... That, that's not necessary. That's in the promo. If you haven't seen The uh, News and Why It Matters every day, it's a half hour of the news. And why it matters with the roundtable, and it's really, really great and a lot of fun. Make sure you join it at 5.30, only on theblaze.com slash TV. All right, if you're looking for somebody great in your uh, business, you need to make a great hire, there is an easy way for you to find it, and it's ziprecruiter.com slash Beck. I want you to try this for free. If you're looking to hire somebody now, go to ziprecruiter.com slash Beck. What ZipRecruiter used to do is, you know, at the very beginning when they were first getting started and uh, up until the last couple of years, they would they would go and make it really easy for you to post at 100 plus job sites because that was the best way to find people. Well, now with technology changing, ZipRecruiter is smart and it learns what you're looking for and it identifies the people with the right experience. So it goes out after it posts everything. It goes out and it searches for the person that is looking for a job that has those skills and really fits what you're looking for. And then it invites them and says, hey, by the way, did you see this? This job is open and like to invite you to apply. Then as all of those names come in, it highlights the best applicants because it's smart technology and it has learned who you're looking for. Zip Recruiter, you're going to get a candidate in 80% of the people get the quality candidate that they're looking for in on the first 24 hours. So try it for free right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. I, I mean, I'm pretty well lit. I don't see any shadowy figures behind me. Um, it, I mean, honestly, if he sees powerful shadowy, shadowy groups, is corporate America standing with us? Okay, I guess. It doesn't really make sense. But what I want to get on from is the negativity in this situation, and I want to focus on what's ahead for our movement. It's really what we need to be focusing on is the positivity and really bringing everybody together. Wow, this kid doesn't have anybody helping him. He's just a brilliant PR kid. No shadowy figures. He wants to get onto the positives. Yeah, he wants to be positive. He wants to avoid those negatives. Uh, you know, he, people can be fired up in these debates, Glenn. And luckily, David Hogg will not participate in such things. Disgust or disgusting individuals. Hypocritical and disgusting. But she doesn't care about them. She doesn't care about police. Just she doesn't care about these children's lives. Because our parents don't know how to use a democracy. So we have sick out there that want to continue to sell more guns, murder mm. more children, and honestly just get reelected. I see more money than children's lives. You. Oh, wow. He wants to move on to the positive, though. Don't you love? Don't you love our effing parents? Don't know how to use effing democracy. Hey, David, it's not a democracy. It's a republic, and it's very different. You don't want it. De- well, you probably do. You don't want a democracy. You want a constitutional republic. Glenn Beck Mercury.